This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We were talking about the indigenous church last Sunday, and I uh, said quite a little bit about uh, quite a little bit about that. And uh, let me just recap briefly because we need to need to go ahead and move along here. But um, what makes an indigenous work indigenous? Uh, the word indigenous itself means born in a country. Um, it's, it belongs to that country. And, uh, and so uh, <clears throat> I was quoting uh, some notes that I got from John O'Malley, which are very good. And here's what he said. Here's what he said in his notes, that uh, an indigenous work is when a work is viewed by those who are locals as being their own. Uh, sometimes missionaries make the mistake when they go to a, sp- a specific field. They want the work to be theirs. In the sense that, uh, and we talked about this last week, so I don't want to beat the drum again, uh, but sometimes missionaries make the mistake of trying to plant American churches on foreign seal, soil, and that doesn't work. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in contextualization today, and we mentioned that term last week, but we're going to delve into that a little bit more today. And then also, he says, an indigenous work is indigenous when a missionary is seen as the one who gathers and trains instead of gives and sustains. And I gave the illustration last week of a mission agency that, that refused to allow their missionaries to come to America and raise funds to build a church or to establish any kind of uh, material work in a foreign country because they wanted the nationals to do it. And when the nationals do it, it's theirs. And that's an indigenous work. And then thirdly, he said, when the people have been trusted, trained, and loved to to place their dependence on God, instead of America, and that's pretty much the same. Now, um, <clears throat> we don't have a lot of time to go into great depth of this topic, but, uh, but it's sufficient, I think, to point out um, that this is an area of controversy, and, uh, and there are some mission agencies that would disagree with what I stated about the missionary, mission agencies that wouldn't allow their missionaries to raise funds to build churches, on foreign soil. And so there's a little controversy there, but I think maybe that particular mission agent is onto something. However, <clears throat> we can best approach the indigenous principle by being students of the scriptures that deal with the local church. And if we learn what the Bible teaches about planting a local church and go along with the scriptures, that'll work in any culture, in any context. And, uh, and so um, if we have a right preaching of the word, a right practice of the local church uh, ordinances, the right practice of church discipline and so forth, then we most likely will be prepared for the countless alternatives of the uh, you know, indigenous practices that a missionary would run into on the foreign field. So anyway, <clears throat> uh, that brings us to the term contextualization. And I mentioned this term, and we talked about it 
just briefly last week, but I want to spend a little time on it this morning. And then again, I want to go to some material that John O'Malley gave me. Um, I was not, to be honest with you, uh, when, when these terminologies came up in the context of missions, I was not that familiar with those terms. I had heard them, but I was not that familiar. So I called Dr. O'Malley, and he helped me an awful lot with this. And with what I'm teaching you today, in fact, what I'm going to give you now comes from him. Uh, this is his material, but I think it's worth looking at, and that is the examination of contextualization. It's a definition from various sources that he gives us here, and the first two of these are up on the screen at this time, so you can look at the screen because these are not in your notes. This is a, this in a, is it, a, is it in your notes? Oh, it is in your notes. Okay. I forget what I leave in the handout and what I take out. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, so the first, first one is uh, context itself. That's what contextualization is, is putting it in context. You know, when we preach, we often read the scripture verses around the text that we're, that we're dealing with so that we get the text in its context. And so missions has to be performed or done in the context of the culture in which the missionary is working. And so the word context itself, the, the cultural setting and unspoken beliefs that form the environment within which our teaching of Bible, Bible principles takes place. And then the second one, contextualize, the word contextualize, is to, is to place a word, a phrase, or an idea within a suitable context so that this word, phrase, or idea is readily understood. In other words, the goal is fitting the context to the culture so that the missionaries understand, I mean, the, the, the locals understand what the missionary is doing. If a missionary goes into a culture and he begins to Americanize everything, those people don't understand what he's doing. Uh, they probably won't even go to his church, the church he's trying to establish. And so a missionary in the context of the culture. Number three, this is uh, the next slide, Mary Lynn. Number three, contextualization means different things in different settings. Uh, in a Muslim setting, it usually means uh, re uh, removing culturally offensive things so that the gospel, that gospel can be seen and understood in a Muslim context without the offensive things of other cultures grabbing the listener's attention. This goes uh, much further than just simply changing our dress or living in a local housing. It usually affects mo much of our lives and possibly even our understanding of the gospel message. For example, if you go to a Muslim country and start talking about God, guess who the Muslim thinks you're talking about? Allah. They call Allah God. Well, we know that Allah is not God, not our God. He's a false God, a phony God. But if the missionary just goes and preaches God, he's going to have to explain what he means by that. So to put it in the context of the Muslim nation that he's dealing with, they, they're going to have to understand that Allah and God Almighty, two different things. 
And so that's what that means. Number four, contextualization is simply imitating God, who always in Scripture meets people where they are to take them to what is within their own unique situation. You know, Paul said this, in essence. He said, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. That's contextualization. Paul says, when I go to the Rome, when I go to Rome, I have to, I have to act like a Roman, so that the people I'm trying to reach understand what I'm doing. They understand the message I'm trying to preach because I'm putting it in their context. Number five, perhaps most folks who contextualize, uh, who contextualize well, do so without having uh, formulated a definition. Now, here's an interesting thing. Theologians have more difficulty contextualizing than do peasants. For theology remains highly abstract. Uh, it requires Latin-based vocabulary and answers only the questions of the theologian's own subculture. Strangely, theologians accuse others of distorting the truth. But then on the other hand, peasants will try to understand the Bible, obey Jesus, and help others do the same in the language they speak in uh, and, and life that they, as they experience it. Let me give you an example of what that means. Sometimes theologians will talk, us to, talk to us in theological terms that we don't understand. You ever read a book on theology? I've read several of them. Uh, there's some theological terms they use that I have to say, what in the world are they saying? Now, let me give you an illustration of what I mean, and I think you'll understand what I'm saying. You ever had your doctor try to explain to you what's wrong with you? And you sit there and scratch your head, and you say, would you please tell me that in plain English? <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Sometimes theologians don't speak in plain English, <laughs> you know, where peasants do. We just get down to the nitty-gritty, you know. We, we speak where the rubber meets the road and, and so forth. Number five, number six, contextualization. And this is good. This will help you understand what contextualization really is. J. Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China, made this statement. And I think he said it best. He said, all things not sinful become Chinese. And that's what contextualization is. Do what, you, do what they do in Rome as long as it's not sinful. Are you kind of getting the picture now of what contextualization means? This is what missionaries have to do. And I want to tell you, it's not easy to do that. I've read uh, stories and used illustrations and messages that I've preached where uh, there were people, there were missionaries that were preaching to a group of people using terminology that there was no term, uh, no equivalent term in that foreign language to what they were saying in the English language. And they had to make up words so that the foreigners would understand what they're saying. That's contextualized, that's context, that's that word. <laughs> contextualization 
putting things in context in order to reach a culture that's totally different than our culture. An American missionary has to, they have to change. They have to make some changes. They have to make some adjustments. And sometimes they're drastic adjustments. Sometimes they have to dress like the people that they're trying to minister to in order to reach those people. Well, just like they, they want to appear like the people that they're ministering to, they also have to speak in terms that the people of the people that they're trying to minister to. And it's very difficult sometimes for missionaries, even though they've studied the language, it still is a major adjustment to them. Number seven, contextualization is taking the essence of the gospel message and communicating and applying within the culture or the context of the recipient culture. And then uh, number eight, contextualization has to do with how the gospel revealed in scripture authentically comes to life in each new culture, social, religious, and historical setting. Number nine, contextualization must mean the communication of the gospel not only, excuse me, the, communica the contextualization must mean the communication of the gospel not only in the ways that people understand, but in ways that also challenge them individually and corporately to turn from their evil ways. So they not only have to, the missionary not only has to learn the culture and the language and how to apply the language in a practical way and use terminology that, uh, that, uh, that the, the people that they're talking to uh, in New Guinea or down in, uh, in the depths of Africa or, or in some Asian country or whatever, they have to adapt to that culture and to that language in such a fashion that the people they're ministering to can understand them. And not only just understand what they're saying, but be moved by what they're saying to change their life. A missionary can go and, and uh, explain and, and uh, define what he means by the term God. That it doesn't mean Allah, that Allah is another God. But he has to come across to the Muslims in such a way that they, that they are moved by what he's saying to be able to accept his God, the real God, the true God. And it's a very, very difficult situation. That's the reason why there are some missionaries that go to a locality, another country, another culture, that don't, they don't get any converts for a long, long time until they've been able to establish a working relationship with the people that they're among and have a working relationship with them as far as the language is concerned and their cultural culture, understand their culture. A missionary has to understand their culture. They can't make that foreign, uh, that foreign person, that foreign people group understand his culture. That's not what he's there for. He's there to reach them in their culture, to contextualize the gospel so that they know what he's trying to do and trying to preach and understand and are moved by what he's doing. 
You say, well, isn't that the job of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, the truth is the Holy Spirit can't use gibberish. That's one reason why I know that uh, speaking in tongues, as we've heard some gibberish today, is not of the Holy Spirit. And if God has called a missionary to do a work among a certain culture or a people group, then God expects that missionary to adapt to that, pe uh, that people group uh, to, the, to the point where he can use them, the Holy Spirit can use that missionary, that missionary family, to be able to reach out to that people group with the gospel of Christ. Um, uh, J. Hudson Taylor, when he went to China, he didn't have any mission, he didn't have any converse for several years. It took him a long time to become like the Chinese. But God used him in a marvelous way. Um, number 10, I think we're on number 10. Seeking to communicate the gospel clearly and effectively in another culture. I think we've covered that one. Number 11, clearly, is a, it is a... a, a it is an intentional process by which we adapt our message and materials so that their con so that their content so that their content the content of the message and the materials uh, continue, continues to clearly uh, and uh, and correctly communicate biblical truth and so that's what that's what contextualization means now, I know we spent quite a lot of quite a little time on it but I hope it gives you a greater insight to the difficulties of missionaries leaving the, leaving the context of America and going to a completely new context. It's not an easy job for them. It's, uh, in many ways, it's a lifelong adventure for them to be able to effectively reach another culture that they're not familiar with at first to become familiar with it. And you can place, I think, yourselves in their shoes for, for a little while and understand that it would take you a long time. It certainly would take me a long time to go to New Guinea, for example, or Cambodia, or even Japan, or China, or Korea, for that matter, Russia, you name it. Uh, to the Eskimos, can you imagine us going to the Eskimos and trying to communicate in their language. I tried to do a little research yesterday on the Eskimos, and, and uh, I, I didn't get very far, but, but they're, they're a whole class of people in themselves, the Eskimos. And to try to reach culture that's totally different than our culture would be a tremendous uh, uh, ad adventure for us to accomplish. And so when you pray for our missionaries, uh, earnestly pray that God would give them an understanding of the culture in which they're working. And I would say, <clears throat> I think I said this last week, the reason why so many American missionaries only spend one term or sometimes even less than one term on the field and come home is because they're not committed to learning the culture of the people that, that they've gone to.
When you're dealing with people who are, uh, the color of their skin may be different than yours. Uh, their language is, is uh, it may mean something, the, the, a word in their language may mean something to them that it doesn't mean to you and vice versa. When you're confronted with all of those obstacles, and yet that's what God has sent us to do, isn't it? When, when God told us, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, that wasn't just given to certain individuals. That's our responsibility. That's the responsibility seated in this class this morning and those who are watching by live stream. If you are a Christian, if you're born again, that commission was given to you and to me. And it's our responsibility to fulfill it. And that's the reason why in a couple of weeks, few weeks, we're going to be having a missions conference because that missions conference is the, heart, is the heartbeat of our missions program. It's the lifeline of the gospels. It's, the, it's the, the means of us as a church, as a corporate body, fulfilling that commission that was given to us 2,000 years ago. To go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And uh, when you realize that every creature doesn't live like us, doesn't look like us, doesn't act like us, doesn't appreciate us, uh, that becomes a great task, doesn't it? Well, let's look at uh, the last point in our outline, Roman numeral number six, the importance of diversity. This is another term. We think we know what diversity means. We've heard an awful lot about it in the political world recently. The importance of diversity. Our text speaks of all nations, but neither the Democrats nor the Republicans nor the liberal left or the conservative right can claim to be the, or, or the originators of diversity. Uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, this is supposed to be the, merc the most diverse administration. Uh, the next president will probably say the same thing. Most diverse, and we hear that on the political scene all the time. Diversity, diversity, diversity. We've got to be diverse. Well, none of that really is the Bible sense of diversity. Uh, when the Bible tells us that God so loves the world, and they gave, he gave us a commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That in itself is undeniable evidence that he, the creator of the universe and everything in it, is the originator of diversity. You see, even the term world itself is a term of diversity. God made all people. He made the Chinese he made the African people. He made all the Asians, all the Eskimos, the Arabs, the Jews, and all the Caucasians. God made every one of us. And the statement in our, in our uh, preamble to the Constitution is true. God created us all equal. Doesn't make any difference what the color of your skin is or what your culture is. 
or what your language is or uh, the shape of your eyes or what other features you may have that are different than others. God made us all alike. And we're going to delve into that in just a few moments. Um, we began this series of lessons asking why we Christians should take the gospel to the nations, to all the nations. And, the, and this is the answer to that question. It brings glory to God who delights to show mercy to sinners and saving people for himself in every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And this is done through the ministry of diversity. Now, letter A. Diversity exalts his glory. I'm not, gonna, I'm not sure I'm going to have time to look at all these verses of Scripture that go with these points, but I'm going to try at least uh, to, uh, uh, to look at uh, most of them. Um, you may have to look some of them up yourself because I want to finish this lesson this morning. We've been uh, a long time on it, three weeks actually. But in Psalm 96, Psalm 96, let me get there as quick as I can. Yesterday when I was reviewing this, I got a little dyslectic and I looked at Psalm 69. And I kept saying, how in the world does this verse apply to this? <laughs> well, it's not. Uh, verses 3 through 7. Uh, nine actually, says this, Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto God, O ye kindred of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to, unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. And so diversity exalts the glory of God. When, when, we, when we are so diverse that we can get the gospel out to all the nations and we do that by sending out missionaries. We can't all go. God doesn't want all of us to go. Some of us are too old to go and, uh, and make it, you know. More praise comes from unity and diversity rather than unity alone. You know, as a church or as an individual, we could focus on, let's say, Mexicans. We could focus on giving the gospel, getting the gospel out to Mexico. And, uh, and, and you know, that would be a, a good thing, but it's not the best thing. It's not what God told us to do. God said, diverse. Be diverse. Go to all people. So it's more powerful and beautiful when we are so diverse. Consider multitudes of people who have nothing else in common except their salvation in Christ. And that brings glory and honor to God when we, by preaching the gospel to all creatures, bring them in a common cause of redemption from sin unto, uh, unto the very presence of God who created them and saved them. This is why the church is such a beautiful picture of heaven. 
I may have nothing in common with the people of another culture outside of our mutual relationship with Christ. But that common ground is everything. Our unity in Christ reflects God and lets us bear testimony to the one true God. And the fact that we are different in so many ways only highlights God's greatness much more. Number, uh, letter A, letter B, letter B. Diversity demonstrates his universal greatness. Let's go to Romans chapter 15. I usually have these verses like this marked and I can just turn right to them, but I, I don't have that because it gives you an opportunity to get to them as quickly as I get to them. You can read them along with me. But Romans chapter 15 and uh, verse 11. It's here somewhere. Here it is. Uh, Romans 15, verse 11 says again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And so diversity demonstrates his universal greatness. Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles. How many of you are Gentiles? Most of you. Some of you won't admit anything. <laughs> Any Jews here today? You know, Glenn Gordon moved. <laughs> he was the only Jew we had. He was a saved Jew. But anyway, it says, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles. And then, and then on top of that, it says, all ye people. Wow, that's universality. Here's an illustration. The worth of an object of beauty increases in proportion to the diversity of people that recognize its beauty. If a work of art is admired only among a small group of like-minded people, its worth is diminished because it's not universally recognized. Its praise is relegated to that small group of people. But if a work continues to win more and more people across cultures and countries and centuries, then its greatness is more widely known and clearly increased. And that principle is equally true of God. In fact, it's even more significant when it is applied to, applied to an acknowledgement of God. When all the people praise Him, that demonstrates the universality of His greatness. No other God can claim that kind of universal acclamation or acknowledgement. And so, <clears throat> diversity demonstrates the universality of his greatness. It's not relocated to a small group of people. And that brings us to letter C. You know, folks, we're probably going to get out of here a little early today. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Acts chapter 17. I'll spend a little time on this one. I'll spend at least a half hour on this one. No. Acts chapter 17. It's right here in my Bible somewhere. There it is. Check 16, 17. All right. Diversity crushes ethnic-centered pride. I'll read it again. Letter C. 
Diversity crushes ethnic-centered pride. Look at chapter 17 of the book of Acts, beginning at verse 22. I'm going to read all of these verses, and we'll go back and single out just a few of these verses, a couple of them. Here's, Paul's preaching now his message on Mars Hill. And it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hills and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things that you're, mo you're too uh, superstitious. For as I passed by, I beheld your devotion. I found an altar with an with a inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, I declare unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with man's hands, as though he, and he, he needed anything, seeing he giveth all life and breath and all things. Let me read it again. Seeing he giveth all life and breath and all things. He hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations. You know what he's saying in that verse? He said, all of us are made of the same blood. Brother Winston, the pigmentation of your skin is different to mine. But if we go to the doctor and they draw your blood and my blood, it's the same thing. Same thing. And the same thing would be true if the doctor drew my blood and drew the blood of somebody in Asia somewhere. He made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the earth. But he set the bounds of their habitations. In other words, even though we're all of the same blood, he's got some over in the Asian countries. Some are down in Africa. Some are up there in Russia. Some are Eskimos up there in Alaska, you know. And then they got some Texans. And then they got some West Virginians. And then there's me. But you know we all have the same blood? That's what Paul's telling these Martians, uh, the people on Mars Hill. Um, so he made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and they determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not very far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are his offspring. We're all his offspring. All of us. Well, let's just uh, park here for a minute or two. By focusing, by focusing on all the people of the world, God diminishes ethnic, ethnic centered pride and reminds every people, he reminds people that his free grace is far superior to any than any ethnic distinct distinctions of its own. And we see this here in Acts chapter 17, particularly verses 25 through 27 here. 
God is the one in life and breath and sustains all humans by the same blood. No ethnic people group can claim superiority. Hitler tried that. Guess where he landed? You know. No ethnic people group can claim superiority. And though different people groups may have different facial features, and though their skin may have different pigmentation, their life-sustaining element, their blood, is no different than any other ethnic group. God controls their life and their breath. Any ethnic pride is vain pride, because without God they are nothing. They're nobody. Now that's what you and I are. Without God, we're nothing. He's the one that sustained us. He created us. He gave us life. He gave us breath. And he sustains us, all alike. And so there's no pride. There's no ethnic pride here. Uh, no legitimate ethnic pride at all. Because he's made of one, all nations of men. Gave us all the same blood. Okay? And that brings us to the last point, letter D. Diversity shows worth. W-O-R-T-H. Diversity shows worth in the, difference, in the differences of those who love him. Let's go back to Psalm 22. I gave you a false hope a little while ago. We're not really going to get out early, but we are going to get out on time. All right? Sorry for that fault. So I used to do that when I was pastoring. I said, you know, I got a short message tonight and turned out it was one of the longest messages I preached. <laughs> Until I started writing my sermons out. You know that, when I started writing out my sermons and practically read, I had to do that because I couldn't remember anymore. Uh, and I'm still in that kind of shape. I, I kind of feel for Joe Biden once in a while. Shut up, preacher, and get back to this. All right. Psalm 22, verse 27 says this. All the end of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before thee. For the, kingdoms, for the kingdom of the Lord's, and he, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor over uh, among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth... Uh, shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow, bow before him, and none, uh, and none can keep alive in his own soul. And so <clears throat> diversity shows the worth of God, how worthy he is of praise. And one, God is magnified in leading, in, in leading a diverse group of people rather than a group of the same people. The more diverse the people groups are who forsake their gods to follow the one true God, the more visible is God's superiority over all other false gods. And it shows the diversity, God's diversity in, in sending us to all the world, in loving the world. He doesn't just love us here at Good News Baptist Church. He does love us. But he loves the people down there and in New Guinea. He loves the people down there in Brazil. 
and uh, Bolivia and uh, Canada and Russia, all over the world. He loves everybody equally, all of us, you see. And so his diversity shows the worth of those who love him. He's worthy an awful, of an awful lot of praise, isn't he? Well, the more, uh, <clears throat> the more each of us gets involved in this wonderful and great ministry of reaching the whole world, and every creature of the world, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more our lives glorify God that created us and saved us by his grace. God rewards the faithful who praise him and please him by doing what glorifies him and pleasing him the most. And that is preaching the gospel to all the world. Our Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, God, for loving us all equally. I'm grateful, dear God, that we have the privilege of, of uh, fitting within your plan of diversity. Uh, that, Lord, you just don't love a certain people group like Buddha does or did, or like Shinto worship, or uh, the gods of the, of, the, uh, of the Muslims, or other false gods around the world, but God, you love us all equally. And uh, I pray, God, that you will help us in our responsibility as a church people, as individuals, and as a corporate body, uh, to do our best, Lord, to reach the whole world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they may know you so that they can glorify you as well. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.